0: Hey, this is a re-recording of my talk from Sunday, as it did not record, so I'm going to do it here in my office. Um, I think it's important to remind us that we are talking about what it means to live as disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles, and we are looking at the book 1 Peter to help us understand that um, Peter, this follower of Jesus, now an old man, writing to a group of churches, a group of disciples who are in exile. They have been, they're part of the diaspora. They're out of their homeland and they live in in Asia minor. And he's writing to encourage them. They're under pressure. They're under persecution. They've been marginalized. They're refugees. They're all, any word you would like to use, that's who he's writing to. And I think we can learn from that um, in our day and age because the church today is seen as As people in exile, people no longer at the center, living in the margins, and we can learn something from peter 's writings to these people um, and he 's talking about this great salvation when you read one peter chapter one the the first sections he's he 's reminding them of how great the salvation is that that Jesus accomplished uh, a salvation that um, covers every aspect of their being, and so he says, in the light of that, we are to do a bunch of things. So last week, we 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 spoke from verse 13, where it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I thought I would just remind us of what that word set means, set your hope fully. It actually means to place oneself in a position to start running in a race. So you're at the at the start line, you, you're in your position and the gun goes and off you go. You are set, ready to go. You're not wandering around, oh, and then trying to catch up. You're ready for the starter's gun to go. It also means to direct with fixed attention. So you have set your gaze on something in the future. You are looking at, attentively with deep, deep attention. It means that It also means to place with care or deliberate pers- purpose and with stability. So, for example, trying to, you're placing a ladder against a wall. You lean against a wall. And you make sure it is set so you can climb up and do what you have to do. That word set also means to appoint or assign to an office or duty. So, if you understand some of those and their more meanings and then read it, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, place yourself in the position to get going. Fix your attention, your gaze on what lies ahead. Do what you're doing with care and deliberate purpose and creating a stability. The office that you'll be given, the place that you find yourself, do it well. And from that, you can get your mind ready for action. And then it led us into talking about hope and holiness. Uh, Two important things. The resurrection of Jesus, this first sign um, that the revolution began on the cross has begun. Those are the words of N.T. Wright. Um, this resurrection gives us hope for the future, that what Jesus promised will come about and enables us to live in this in-between phase as we go through the hard times. But because of that, Jesus is also calling us to live a life that represents Him well, a life of holiness. And so as we read now from verse 17, it's like Peter is bringing a little more clarity to that, a little more understanding before he gets into the next two Imperatives. One is love one another, and the other is grow up. But he, he wants to put us this little, this little section. So let me read this to you um, uh, to help us understand. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. At the essence, this verse 17, Peter saying, if you claim to have this intimate relationship with God as father, You as a son or a daughter relating to this father, this doesn't give you the license to live as you like and do as you like, when you like. Um, It's saying that no, God God judges impartially, whether you're outside of his family or inside of his family, there's still a judgment that's coming for the way that you have lived. It's not about whether you're a son or a daughter or whether you're outside of that relationship. But there is an accountability to the way that you lived and that the way that you lived determines some things in the new heavens and the new earth in the future. So those who claim to be born again, to receive this new birth from God and the Father above, should actually live like like God's child. Um, and, and, and especially now that you're in exile and you're living among foreigners and you're living among those who are trying to judge you, live in a way that gets their attention and says, ah, these people are different. And at the essence, if the ethic of the kingdom of God is love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we've already covered in previous talks, who is your neighbor? And then to go in the Sermon on the Mount is love your enemy. If that's the ethic, if we live a life of love, then we should find ourselves living totally in line with what Jesus expected of his believers. Um, Peter goes on really to say that if we don't live like that, if we live from our past understanding, firstly, what we're doing is we're denying actually the power of what Jesus did in the cross and in the resurrection. Uh, We're denying the value of that. And he says, then we just basically are putting our attentions to this useless way of life inherited from our ancestors. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, living from the place of darkness. Um, and so that place of living, uh, the values of our ancestors, the Greek word that is used there is patroparodotos, means the ancestral way of life. And in all ancient cultures, and I think even in some of our cultures today, um, we esteem, we venerate, we um, venerate. The ancestral way of life, those things that come for us through history and our family and our lineage and our culture, we lift them up as something beautiful. The Greeks did it. The Jews did it. um, We do it in the United States. We did it in South Africa. Every culture does it. But we see Peter, most probably the first writer, actually using that word in a negative sense. And he's saying, no, it's actually can actually be unhelpful to the ways of the kingdom and the ways that Jesus wants us to live. Um, he's basically saying, would you surrender some of that stuff that comes from the past through your ancestral way of life, whether it's the worshiping of family idols, whether it's some sort of value that is so important to family, but it's against the ways of the kingdom. An eye for an eye, you know, the family feuds that happen. If this happens, you go kill their brother. And when Jesus called us to love, he's saying, lay that aside um, we need to reinterpret all of that through the history of ancient Israel as determined by Jesus through the death and resurrection that he did on our behalf. So I think it's important to then say, what are the implications for us today? Because we can say, oh, we're looking back 2,000 years ago. We can see these ancestral ways of life. They worshiped the ancestors, they made gods of them, they did all these things. What are the implications for us? I want to read from Joshua chapter 24. Because it's a very, very powerful text. Joshua takes over from Moses and he leads God's people into the promised land and he helps them uh, to achieve what they needed to achieve, to get their property, to get their land. And now he's an old man and he's about to die and he's reminding them of the covenant and all that God's done. And then he lays this out for them. Joshua twenty-four, fourteen to 28. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And just for the sake of brevity, be worthwhile to go read the rest of that text because he really begins to, they saying, no, we will serve the Lord. And he's saying, well, you'd better. We're going to hold this to account. There's covenant involved here to lay aside the foreign gods. But at the essence of the challenge, he's saying to them, are you going to serve the gods from Egypt when you were there 400 years in captivity as slaves in exile and the, the, The people took on some of the ways of Egypt. Are you going to serve those gods? Or are you going to serve the gods of the land you're living in right now? You've come into the promised land. There have been all the different tribes. Maybe you've uh, pulled some of their gods into your life. Who are you going to serve? He says, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, Yahweh, the, the only one true God of Israel. That's who he's saying. And so the implication for us is when we look back in our heritage, what are those things that come from our past through family lineage or cultural lineage or national lineage that have become so ingrained and entrenched in our lives that are truly not part of kingdom life, that which Jesus wants us to live. I know for me, coming from South Africa, um, there's such a, a commitment to the idea of owning the land, But actually, maybe that's not what God has for me. It doesn't mean it's wrong to own the land. But if I make that my God, well, it can go badly for me. I think sometimes we put family actually ahead of God. And I think family is really, really important. I think all of us would think that. But when we put family, when we put our children uh, above the the things of God, actually, things can go a little screwball. When we keep God in in his number one place, then we live out family as we are supposed to. We'll do it better than we've ever done it before. So there really are implications to this idea of patroparodotos, the ancestral way of life. We have to shed a whole lot of that. At the same time, there might be one or two or three things that come through your family lineage that are really, really important. You might come from a long line of people who have served the Lord and have lived a generous lifestyle, have been to the mission field, have served people. Maybe some of that has just been entrenched in you and comes forward. Maybe you come forward because you had grandparents who were great prayers and they've entrenched in you the desire to pray. Well, we want to bring that forward as well. But we are more talking about these things that draw our attention away from what God wants. Uh, you might come from a family where... Uh, making your mark and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and building your empire is really, really important and continuing the family business. And then we find ourselves doing things that are unethical. We find ourselves maybe not being as generous as God would want us to be, not making our time or our skills or our talents or our finances and possessions. Maybe we don't make them available to, for use in the kingdom. I think we need to deal with all of that. Um, in another part, as we as we are reading this text from one Peter, um, Peter writes and talks about uh, this futile ways inherited from our forefathers, um, and not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You know, we we've been redeemed from that, but not with silver or gold, not with things that will tarnish and go away. But we have been redeemed through the precious blood of Christ, and. That verb and the noun translated redeemed um, was used in the Greco-Roman culture to refer to the release of a slave from slavery. Actually, the the, the word is manumission, the release of of a slave from slavery. Um, The slave would receive his or her freedom after depositing money in the temple of a god or goddess, money which then would be paid via the temple's treasury to the slave's owner With the thought that the god or goddess was buying the slave. It was not really helpful just for the slave owner to release his slave. That could be seen as a sign of weakness. So he would sell his slave to another. But he would sell him to the gods. And then the former slave would then be set free in the eyes of his former owner and society. But would be considered a slave of the god or goddess. The sum of money that was paid for this redemption was referred to as the price. The Greek word timae. And the slave was considered to have been redeemed by the deity, now free to live his or her life, but under the control of the God. The believers, therefore, were free, but nevertheless slaves to God. In chapter 2, verse 16, which we'll get to later, it says this, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, Jesus did not pay for us with silver and gold, played to some temple. He paid for us by His precious blood. Uh, the price played in silver and gold is this word, Time. a price. But in, in understanding the blood of Jesus, they use the, the word "timio," which means precious and valuable. There's a difference. This was something that was the most dear, the most basic basic, undergirding, precious, valuable thing that Jesus had was his blood, his life force. He gave that up. That was the price he paid so that we could be redeemed and set free. Um, And although Peter's language might resonate with Greco-Roman custom of manumission, actually, this idea of redemption is deeply, deeply entrenched and rooted uh, in the Old Testament. And Old Testament covenant and the sacrifice of a of the perfect spotless lamb etc etc um, in Roman I mean in Hebrews 9 chapter 20, 20, in chapter 9 verse 22 this is incredible verse it says there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood because in Leviticus it tells us that the life of a creature is in the blood so in Jesus giving up his blood giving up his life. In that comes the forgiveness. In that comes the freedom. In that comes our release from slavery to darkness and ancestral ways and life and death. And a freedom now to live as servants of Jesus and go about doing what He wants us to do. Um, In Isaiah 52 verse 3. Uh, the prophet speaks of the release of God's people from Babylon, and in the first, but the first two verses, he's laying out this this image of goodness, and then he says this: "For this is what the Lord says: You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money." They were taken into slavery. They were just taken from their homeland, put into slavery, but and they are going to be redeemed, not because someone played Pays a big price there. They're going to be sent back, and he's saying, and the, the the future implications are that not money's not going to be paid for your release, but the precious blood of Jesus. I want to read uh, some scriptures from the Psalms um, that are just beautiful. I'll read from Psalm 33, just turning there, starting in verse 13. It says this: The Lord looks down from heaven; he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. And he says, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And those whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. This idea of redemption, this idea of coming into freedom in in Christ has really got nothing to do with how strong you are, how much willpower you have, how much cash you have, how much gold bullion you have stored up. It means nothing. It actually means that. Our our strength and our natural abilities can never redeem us. Actually, it takes an outside force. It takes God intervening and us trusting in what He has done. Um, In Isaiah, another beautiful text. I want to read it as well, just to help us in Isaiah 55. Um, It says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This again, this incredible promise that Our own strength and abilities and wealth cannot get us what we need. It's all for free if we would just come and surrender ourselves to Jesus. We would come and acknowledge our weakness in humility, say, we have need. Please, please, can we get help? Um, And so it's important to see in all of this, Peter's always referring back to these two great exiles. One, when Israel or then went into slavery in Egypt and they were there 400 years and then they were delivered through the Exodus and the great feast of Passover and they came free. And then when they were taken into exile in Babylon, there were 70 years and then they were redeemed out of that and they were restored back to their homeland. Um, This always implies a transition from a former way of life to a new way of life through the process of redemption. So it applies to us as believers, that's why reading the Old Testament is really helpful because you can see some of these things in play. N.T. Wright said this Redemption is the accomplishment of God on believers' behalf, the great exodus through which they have been set free from the slavery of sin. And so you have the exodus, uh, and redemption from Egypt, you have the setting free, returning from Babylon, and then you have us today through the blood of Jesus, coming from the place of death and slavery into this new freedom. Um, Spurgeon said this, morality may keep you out of jail. You know, good living, just before, may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Uh, good living is not going to make cut the grade as you try and cross over from darkness to light, from death to life. But once you're across... We are called to live a certain way under the power of the Spirit. Tim Keller said this, religion says, earn your life. Secular society says, create your life. Jesus says, my life for your life. It's just, so that it's just an incredible understanding that our new life from above, our new freedom to live and serve God, not to do what we like, but to serve God, comes life for life. So what are the implications of this for us? Um, in the previous section, we looked at the implication of um you know, we need to serve the Lord. We have to choose who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve our ancestral way of life, the way we, our family said things, or are we going to embrace a whole new way of living? In this one, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That context there is there has to do with sexuality and, se- and the, the sins of sex. Um, but the, the principle is that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Sure, we are no longer under the imprisonment and slavery of the kingdom of darkness and of death. We have been set free from that. We are now in a kingdom of light and a kingdom of love. But that's not so that we can now just do as we like when we like the celebration of, the, of individualism and my rights and I can do whatever. No, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We now have the incredible freedom to serve the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength and love our neighbors as ourselves and love our enemies. It's so, so very important. Um, as this text ends in 1 Peter, I'll read it again. It says he Jesus was known, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in god it's a, It's important I think to realize that this wasn't a random make it up as you- go plan that God had God, through his foreknowledge had knew knew what was happening, and so he had already put. The plan in place. In Revelations 13, 8, it says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So this plan was in operation. And I think it's important to see that God had us in mind that he thought we were special. And that when we respond to this great gospel and we become part of those elected in Christ and we respond, he brings this word to us. He tells them, no, you are special. I already had this plan for you. And it helps us, I think, to strengthen us to enter into this new living hope that is based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can aim to the future, set ourselves in place, aim to the future and live appropriately. Um, how can I sum this all up? I'll sum it up like this. One, how you live matters. Don't Don't live randomly. Don't live... Uh, just from one experience to another. Set your mind. Set your hope. Gird up the loins of your mind. Say, I'm going to live appropriately because of the freedom I have received in Christ. I'm going to live for Christ with my whole life. I know that's hard because you might have to say no to some of the things that have come through your family. Imagine if you, especially if you come from an Italian family, um, That that There's such genealogy, such lineage, such uh, tradition in those. You might have to say no to some of those things for the sake of the kingdom. Um, Those are hard. And that's why God gives us family, called the church, community, that we are meant to live this out so that we can encourage one another. He takes us out of one family. He makes us part of a new family, the new family, the body of Christ. He, God is our father. We are his children. Um, he is the head. We are the body. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. All these illustrations show that there's this new family, this new unity. So how we live matters because how we live represents the one that we are attached to. Maybe I'll close by reading the, this text from the message. This is Eugene Peterson's take on this uh, 1 Peter 1, 17-21. You call out to God for help. And he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought. Even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages has become public knowledge, God always knew He was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. How good is that? I encourage you in this coming week, in the weeks or whenever you listen to this message, to actually take stock of this, um, that to prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. I mean, gird up the the loins of your mind and set yourself ready for this life that God has called us to. It's a great life if we would live it well, if we would trust Him, if we would learn to hear His voice and let the Spirit guide us and and, and entrust ourselves to brothers and sisters and community and family. We could live this really well and see amazing things happen for the kingdom of God. Uh, Peace upon you. God bless. Uh, Until next time.